It's no secret that interest rates are low, that's for sure. But between the pandemic and the Federal Reserve, is there some secret to fixed income investing? Here's what matters. Live from our respective coronavirus social distancing outposts, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Robert Sarenbetz. And this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we, the strategists at New York Life Investments, will share insights from the multi-asset solutions team, what we think matters as we manage investment solutions. That includes Mainstay's Income Builder Fund, as well as individual solutions for our partners. By sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It is the week of November 16, 2020. And today we have a very special guest joining the show, Mr. Kenneth Summer, head of investment grade credit at New York Life Investors, the investment arm of the New York Life Insurance Company. Yes, such an exciting guest, not only just in general, but also specifically in today's environment. Ken is responsible for managing over $15 billion in investment-grade third-party fixed-income portfolios, including stable value, retail mutual funds, and institutional separate accounts. That's right. Ken has quite the impressive experience in the fixed-income space. He's been researching, analyzing, and managing fixed income portfolios for nearly two decades. Yeah, and when you think of the second floor, which is where our fixed income investors sit at the New York Life Home Office, Ken is a name you absolutely can't miss. It's a pleasure to have you today, Ken. Thanks, Lauren. It's really great to uh, to be able to join in this morning. So look forward to our conversation. The pleasure is truly ours, but I'm going to hand back to Robert and focus in on some of the most important parts of the markets today. Over the last few months, we've received a number of listener questions around the rate outlook and fixed income investing. So I know today's conversation will be important. Guys, take it away. Thanks, Lauren. I do really want to get to those questions, but first I think that for our listeners' sake, we should take a step back a bit and just bring everyone up to speed with some generalisms. Ken, you work in the investment-grade fixed income space, meaning you manage multi-asset portfolios across numerous sectors that are higher quality and typically expected to have lower default risk. That's right, Rob. With an investment-grade credit and investment-grade fixed income, we're, we're really focused on risk factors such as duration or your interest rate risk credit risk, and the propensity for those investments within the investment grade world to possibly move to below investment grade. And so those are certainly ones that we as as fixed income investment grade portfolio managers really want to avoid. But what the investment grade asset class really offers is the benefits of diversification across sectors, which allows our team to accomplish our portfolio objectives. Okay. So what type of strategy are you focused on in your day-to-day work? Yeah, we manage multiple strategies, as Lauren alluded to, but two prominent strategies that our team focuses on are capital preservation funds, as well as more traditional investment-grade bond funds. Those are really what our our listeners are going to want to hear about, but maybe some of our listeners aren't so familiar with the nuances of of each types of those strategies, the difference between an investment-grade bond fund or a capital preservation fund. Could you introduce us to the, the different types of capital preservation strategies that are out there and how they might differ to a traditional bond fund? Yeah. So most investors, uh, especially on the retail side, might be more familiar with money market funds as one of the primary capital preservation strategies. But we manage both stable value portfolios as well as short duration strategies, 
which offer enhanced opportunities for yields as well as return, but while limiting your duration risk or interest rate risk in that portfolio. Both of these strategies also offer a greater set of investment opportunities than a typical money market fund might offer. And it allows the portfolio manager to really highlight their ability to select superior securities, but also to, to mitigate interest rate risk and, and, and exposure to certain asset classes by actively managing your sector allocation. And finally, stable value funds actually offer a wrap that is provided by an insurance company such as New York Life Insurance Company. Wow, that's so that's really helpful background. And, and you touched on a lot of important elements there. And I think one thing is clear from everything you just talked about, that there are risks to fixed income investor, investors. There are risks to consider when you are investing in bonds. And so if we zoom out a bit and we think about the risks you just touched on, the, the, the array of possibilities, it seems that two of the most important risks you touched on were interest rate risk, so duration, and, and credit risk or deterioration in, in the profile of, of a bond security. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely right, Rob. So first and foremost, you know, in the investment grade fixed income world, we're really we're really focused on duration and interest rate risk because that is going to be some of the risk that is most impactful for investors, especially when you see rates moving potentially violently in one direction or another. And certainly interest rate risk or duration is always thought about in sort of a negative light due to the fact that it, a significant move higher in interest rates will be detrimental to your capital of the portfolio. But in the last few years, as we've seen rates decline significantly from where we once had been, it's actually worked to the benefit of fixed income investors. So we've, we've actually seen duration, which was once feared before, actually work to the benefit of fixed income portfolio managers. And then secondly, as you mentioned, credit risk. You know, you really want to avoid the credits to the companies that are at risk of missing debt service payments on their outstanding debt. And certainly as an investment grade portfolio manager, we're trying to mitigate risk to our portfolios by really highlighting securities that are not going to be at risk of moving to down the capital spectrum or, or the credit spectrum, i.e. The, the below investment grade universe. So again, it's, it's first and foremost our job to, to manage duration, but also credit risk as you look through portfolio managers in the fixed income universe. Well, let's talk about it then. What is your view on interest rates? Where are we going to go from here? They're very low now, but how are you managing the portfolio for, for interest rate risk? Yeah, I think, you know, by and large, the mantra that I think a lot of investors have heard about is this lower for longer. Essentially, we've seen rates come significantly lower. And due to the actions of the Federal Reserve and, and other central banks across the globe in order to pump liquidity into the system. And so I think if you look at what the Federal Reserve has communicated to the markets, we've essentially heard them say, we're going to keep Fed funds at or near our zero lower bound through at least 2023. And so I think as fixed income investors, we have to take the Fed at their word. And we believe that they're going to remain very accommodative and so I think, you know, in the front end of the curve, you're likely to see us near this year or lower bound. But with the advent of the past few weeks, you know, certainly a new president and administration coming in, you know, what happens to the shape of the yield curve is certainly to be determined. We've seen it start to move a little bit higher and a little bit steeper. It'll be interesting to see if that's something, uh, a dynamic that could continue given the new administration. Mm, that's really, really interesting. So I assume you're talking about one, the new administration. So some of that election risk rolled off. And second, some really positive vaccine 
news, some really promising uh, data from preliminary results in the vaccine space, which we talked about on our program last week. And it has an effect on interest rates, but it depends on the duration of the assets you're talking about. So you talked about the yield curve. I wonder, does that rate view make your job harder? You know, it's certainly one in which I think when you're investing in a universe where the Federal Reserve is actively offering accommodation, purchasing assets in in treasuries and mortgage-backed securities, and really keeping rates low so that they can, you know, give the economy the ability to to enter some sort of escape velocity at some point in the future. Mm -hmm. So we've seen rates and, and credit spreads sort of move to this historical lows. And, and, and I think as we compete against other managers in this search for yield in this yield-starved environment, it certainly makes our job a little bit more challenging. And, you know, finding those opportunities that could potentially be incremental to the yield profile of your portfolio, uh, you really have to roll up your sleeves and, and start to dig through those opportunities. And again, I think that's one of the reasons why investment-grade bond funds do offer a greater sense of diversification. And uh, certainly those opportunities, although they might be challenging, they're certainly there to be had. But we recognize that this lower for longer is likely to last. And so uh, it's all relative, if you will. Mm -hmm. I think that's an important point. So as you roll up your sleeves and do that due diligence, I imagine that the environment today doesn't make doing that credit analysis any easier. So what has the impact of COVID, COVID been on, the, on the, the credit risk side of the spectrum? Yeah, certainly. I, I mean, when you think about the negative effects from COVID, uh, not only the societal negative effects, but also in terms of the broad-based uh, economic reaction function that we've seen, there have been sectors such as airlines that have, have felt you know, more acute pain, if you will. But companies, by and large, have certainly managed through this crisis in, in a relatively strong fashion. Uh, we've seen companies really focus towards their their financial uh, flexibility in terms of improving their cash and, and liquidity on their balance sheets, focusing on the balance sheet, making sure that they can service their debt payments. And so I think that companies have certainly shown their ability to adjust in these difficult and trying times. And furthermore, I think once we see earnings coming out of Q3, much better than anticipated back in, in the second quarter and the first quarter of this year, and so, you know, I believe that the companies have have um, really been flexible in, in dealing with the environment, but the ability to continue to improve and, and generate earnings and revenue will certainly be uh, will be impacted by the by the shape and the trajectory of the virus. And certainly, to your point, Rob, as you just alluded to, the the pace and the and the cadence of these vaccine coming out is certainly beneficial for the the escape velocity that we could potentially see going forward. And so we'll have to really keep an eye on the news flow as it relates to vaccines and the distribution of those vaccines. Mm, definitely uh, an important thing to watch. Even just this morning, we heard from the other mRNA vaccine type. So last week we heard from Pfizer, this week we heard from Moderna, and they both have very effective vaccines, it seems like, from a preliminary standpoint, which could be great for the economy when they are able to be distributed. Before we get to that point, you you mentioned earnings have improved, 
But for a lot of the most affected sectors of the economy, the the services, hospitality, those segments of the economy, they're still deeply impacted. They haven't seen their earnings improve as much as the other sectors. So how have those corporate management teams really been dealing with the effects of the virus? Yeah, I, I think by and large, what we see during times of stress, you know, whether it be pandemic or, or a regular recessionary environment, you know, management teams will start to focus more on the balance sheet. And, and as credit investors and creditors of companies, that's really what you want to see is, is the fact that they're they're improving their financial flexibility. We've certainly seen companies start to term out commercial paper, mm-hmm. refinance shorter term debt. So again, giving themselves the ability to withstand more volatility and economic uncertainty by pushing out their maturity profile. They've certainly done that with the assistance of the Federal Reserve. As rates have come down, they've offered this secondary credit facility in which they're buying corporate bonds. So the all-in financing rates for companies, even in an environment as uncertain as it is right now, has been relatively attractive and, and access to capital is certainly open. We've also seen companies cut costs, reduce capital expenditures. And I think by and large, from what we see as well, is in the height of the crisis, you certainly saw companies that were prudently managing their balance sheets reduce their dividends or, or pause their dividend payments, You know, certainly stop stock buybacks. And I think that's really important in order to withstand a crisis such as we've seen in the past several quarters and could potentially see in the coming quarters. And again, that ability to focus on the balance sheet and their liquidity is is really, really important. Right. So you as a fixed income manager and corporate management teams as managing their balance sheet, these aren't the only two people looking at companies. You also have ratings agencies. Are they seeing the same thing that you're seeing? Why haven't we seen more downgrades from these ratings agencies? Yeah, I certainly think that rating agencies in this environment have probably given companies a little bit more flexibility in terms of understanding that this is a near-term issue that they're dealing with. And again, their ability to actually improve their liquidity profile, have enough cash in their balance sheet to withstand that economic uncertainty has probably you know, enabled companies to avoid downgrades. We certainly have seen downgrades in the airline, hospitality, gaming sectors, cruise lines, the ones that have been most severely impacted. But by and large, rating agencies have given companies the ability to see through this crisis. And again, I think it's a recognition that rates are extremely low, that financing costs have come down. And again, that ability to to increase financial flexibility on their balance sheet, they recognize that that's something very important and probably giving companies a little bit more flexibility to withstand this crisis. That's not to say that we can't see downgrades in the future, but again, time will only tell given the trajectory of the virus and certainly the uh, the economic recovery that we hope is all coming soon. I have to jump in here because I think we'd have a a worldwide fan protest if I didn't bring up uh, the Fed in this conversation. And of course, we've already talked about lower for longer interest rates. But one of the other things that the Fed has done over the course of this crisis is provide support for credit markets with this implicit and explicit backstop of uh, fallen angels, for example, and the investment grade space. How is that impacting your world? How do you think about it? Yeah, you know, I mean, look, the Fed's reaction function back in in March and April and and even post that time period was nothing short of historic. You know, they took out the playbook that was really developed in 2008 and 2009, and their propensity to react 
and institute these emergency lending facilities was just an enormous impact on all fixed income markets. And really investment grade credit and even high yield benefited from that. It really reduced the borrowing costs that we saw for, for companies. And so it's been you know, hugely beneficial to those companies in order to term out CP and, and retire uh, shorter term debt. I think it's, again, something that we'll, we'll really have to monitor how they, they go forward with these lending facilities. And again, understanding and listening to Fed speakers is really important to, uh, to highlight where the, the trajectory of these lending facilities could, be, could potentially be heading. Yeah, well, the, the trajectory forward is, of course, the big question because, you know, any sort of reliance on policy creates a risk when that policy is unwound. How, how are you thinking about that risk? And, and specifically, uh, you know, do you think we'll see some sort of taper tantrum with respect to corporate credit when it is unwound? Yeah, and, and that's the, the thing that we continue to believe is, is certainly a risk in here. Uh, the corporate credit facility ends December 31st, and they haven't indicated to the market whether or not they're going to let that expire. Even last week, we heard Fred President Bullard from St. Louis actually said, even if we remove that or let it expire, doesn't mean that we can't reinstitute that should volatility pick up. So I think they're trying to communicate to the market that they will remain accommodative, but it might not last forever. And so I think, again, you know, giving themselves flexibility in these uncertain times is going to be something that I think they look at using forward. But I think, again, we're, we're going to really have to understand the reaction function. And I don't think that it's likely to be very detrimental to the fixed income markets when they remove those policies. But again, how they communicate the removal of these emergency lending facilities could have an impact on credit spreads and even interest rates. All right. Well, can we do this part of the program called a portfolio pause where we share an investment idea? And we're running a little bit short on time now. But based on the discussion today, I'd love to hear your perspective on why it's important for investors to take an actively managed approach in their bond portfolio. Yeah, Rob, I think in today's environment now more than ever, given the shape of the yield curve and the all-in level of interest rates, it's really important to have a portfolio that's actively managed so that that manager can really emphasize the sectors and the industries in which they have the greatest conviction levels and certainly can add to the portfolio's yield profile, which will ultimately be accretive to portfolio performance. And I believe that an active managed portfolio is beneficial to those investors that are looking to diversify and, again, really emphasize or de-emphasize sectors in which the manager has conviction or lack of conviction based upon relative value. Mm, so a lot of ways that y'all can add value. What qualities are you looking at right now as you vet more companies to, to add yeah, that value? Sure. In investment grade, and certainly this is the case for not only investment grade credit, but also high yield, we're looking for management teams that are, are responsible, that are prudently looking at their balance sheet in terms of financial flexibility preserving cash flow, given the uncertain times that we're living in at this point, and really being mindful of how their credit quality is going forward. Do they manage towards certain leverage metric or a certain rating credit quality? And so again, we're going to be looking for companies that are being prudent about stock buybacks and dividends. And again, given the amount of liquidity that companies have raised this year, they do have excess cash in their balance sheet. And it will be interesting to see which companies start to pivot towards other stakeholders, such as equity holders. 
And if we start to see those management teams returning cash to equity holders through dividends and stock buybacks, that's where an active manager is really going to make a difference in eliminating those companies or avoiding those companies altogether in the portfolio construction process. A lot of things to keep in mind when you're investing in the fixed income space. Despite low interest rates today, despite low yields, adding bonds to a portfolio of stocks may help to smooth out or buffer risky investment allocations, especially when you're investing in a capital preservation fund. So during this period of vulnerability that we've been talking about on the program today, active management, as Ken said, is key to finding companies with quality cash flows that can help investors preserve their capital and make sure that bonds do their job in a portfolio, which is to buffer out risk. Ken, you have been enormously generous with your time today. Thank you for joining us. It was great to join you both, Lauren, Rob. Great to be here and hope to to chat again. Well, coming up next, nothing nearly as fun as the conversation we just had. And and Ken, thank you so much again for covering the the top questions and issues that we've gotten on fixed income in the past several weeks. Really, really interesting conversation. In the coming weeks, we'll be looking, of course, at the continued vaccine news that Robert mentioned. And um, in the meantime, the real economy, continuing to look at the labor market and see how things are trending as we wait for more effective and positive vaccine news. How about you, Robert? Well, in the bucket of the real economy, we get retail sales this week. And I think that we can expect that they might be a little bit soft, just given the trajectory of COVID around the country. But one month October data wouldn't mean an end to the recovery, but might highlight some of the near-term weakness that we're a little concerned about. Yeah, well, we can then expect potentially a decent November number because I've seen Black Friday sales three or four Black Fridays in advance of the Thanksgiving holidays this time around. Uh, But that's another topic for another day. We'll be back next week with more Market Matters. Let us know what matters to you. Yes, if you have a question or topic of interest, reach out to us on social media. You can send us your questions or highlight what matters to you by finding us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views at nylinvestments.com forward slash blog. But until then, I'm Robert Sarenbetz. And I'm Lauren Goodwin. See you next time. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamonts, and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I'll now read our disclosures from compliance. For more information about mainstay funds, call 1-800-624-6782 for a prospectus or summary prospectus. Investors are asked to consider the investment objectives, risks, and charges and expenses of the investment carefully before investing. The prospectus or summary prospectus contains this and other information about the investment company. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. There's no assurance that the investment objectives will be met. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as of a specific date. It is subject to change and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. 
This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances, and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is a service mark and name under which New York Life Investment Management LLC does business. New York Life Investments is an indirect subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company, New York, New York 10010, and provides investment advisory services and products. New York Life Distributors LLC is located at 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302. New York Life Distributors LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.